A Faraway Melody by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. A Faraway Melody by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. The clothesline was wound securely around the trunks of four gnarled, crooked, old apple trees, which stood promiscuously about the yard back of the cottage. It was tree-blossoming time, but these were too aged and sapless to blossom freely, and there was only a white bough here and there, shaking itself triumphantly from among the rest, which had only their new green leaves. There was a branch, occasionally, which had not even these, but pierced the tender green and the flossy white in hard, gray nakedness. All over the yard, the grass was young and green and short, and had not yet gotten any feathery heads. Once in a while, there was a dandelion set closely down among it. The cottage was low, of a dark red color, with white facings around the windows, which had no blinds, only green paper curtains. The back door was in the center of the house, and opened directly into the green yard, with hardly a pretense of a step, only a flat oval stone before it. Through this door, stepping cautiously on the stone, came presently two tall, lank women in chocolate-colored calico gowns, with a basket of clothes between them. They set the basket underneath the line on the grass, with a little clothespin bag beside it, and then proceeded methodically to hang out the clothes. Everything of a kind went together, and the best things on the outside line, which could be seen from the street in front of the cottage. The two women were curiously alike. They were about the same height, and moved in the same way. Even their faces were so similar in feature and expression that it might have been a difficult matter to distinguish between them. All the difference, and that would have been scarcely apparent to an ordinary observer, was a difference of degree, if it might be so expressed. In one face the features were both bolder and sharper in outline, the eyes were a trifle larger and brighter, and the whole expression more animated and decided than in the other. One woman's scanty drab hair was a shade darker than the other's, and the negative fairness of complexion, which generally accompanies drab hair, was in one relieved by a slight tinge of warm red on the cheeks. This slightly intensified woman had been commonly considered the more attractive of the two, though in reality there was very little to choose between the personal appearance of these twin sisters, Priscilla and Mary Brown. They moved about the clothesline, pinning the sweet white linen on securely, their thick, white-stockinged ankles showing beneath their limp calicoes as they stepped, and their large feet in cloth slippers flattening down the short green grass. Their sleeves were rolled up, displaying their long, thin, muscular arms, which were sharply pointed at the elbows. They were homely women. They were fifty, and over now, but they never could have been pretty in their teens. Their features were too irredeemably irregular for that. No youthful freshness of complexion or expression could have possibly done away with the 
impression that they gave. Their plainness had probably only been enhanced by the contrast, and these women, to people generally, seemed better looking than when they were young. There was an honesty and patience in both faces that showed all the plainer for their homeliness. One, the sister with the darker hair, moved a little quicker than the other, and lifted the wet clothes from the basket to the line more frequently. She was the first to speak, too, after they had been hanging out the clothes for some little time in silence. She stopped as she did so, with a wet pillowcase in her hand, and looked up reflectively at the flowering apple boughs overhead, and the blue sky showing between, while the sweet spring wind ruffled her scanty hair a little. I wonder, Mary, said she, if it would seem so very queer to die a mornin' like this. Say, don't you believe there's apple branches a-hangin' over them walls made out of precious stones like these, only there ain't any dead limbs among em, and they're all covered thick with flowers? And I wonder if it would seem such an awful change to go from this air into the air of the new Jerusalem. Just then a robin hidden somewhere in the trees began to sing. I suppose, she went on, that there's angels instead of robins, though, and they don't roost up in trees to sing, but stand on the ground, with lilies growing round their feet, maybe up to their knees, or on the gold stones in the street, and play on their harps to go with the singing. The other sister gave a scared, awed look at her. Lord, don't talk that way, sister, said she. What has got into you lately? You make me crawl all over talking so much about dying. You feel well, don't you? <laughs> Lord, yes, replied the other, laughing, and picking up a clothespin for her pillowcase. I feel well enough, and I don't know what has got me to talking so much about dying lately, or thinking about it. I guess it's the spring weather. Perhaps flowers growing make anybody think of wings sprouting kinder naturally. I won't talk so much about it if it bothers you and I don't know, but it's sort of natural. It should. Did you get the potatoes before we came out, sister? With an awkward and kindly effort to change the subject. No, replied the other, stooping over the clothes basket. There was such a film of tears in her dull blue eyes that she could not distinguish one article from another. Well, I guess you had better go in and get em. Then they ain't worth anything this time of year, unless they soak a while and I'll finish hanging out the clothes while you do it. Well, perhaps I'd better, the other woman replied, straightening herself up from the clothes basket. Then she went into the house without another word, but down in the damp cellar, a minute later, she sobbed over the potato barrel as if her heart would break. Her sister's remarks had filled her with a vague apprehension and grief, which she could not throw off, and there was something little singular about it. Both these women had always been of a deeply religious cast of mind. They had studied the Bible faithfully, if not understandingly, and their religion had strongly tinctured their daily life. They knew almost as much about the Old Testament prophets as they did about their neighbors, and that was saying a good deal of two single women in a New England country town. Still, this religious element in their natures could hardly have been termed spirituality. It deviated from that as much as anything of religion, which is in one way spirituality itself could. Both sisters were eminently practical in all affairs of life, down to their very dreams, and Priscilla especially so. 
she had dealt in religion with the bare facts of sin and repentance future punishment and reward she had dwelt very little probably upon the poetic splendors of the eternal city and talked about them still less indeed she had always been reticent about her religious convictions and had said very little about them even to her sister the two women with god in their thoughts every moment seldom had spoken his name to each other for priscilla to talk in the strain that she had to-day and for a week or two previous off and on was from its extreme deviation from her usual custom certainly startling poor mary sobbing over the potato barrel thought it was a sign of approaching death she had a few superstitious like grafts upon her practical commonplace character she wiped her eyes finally and went upstairs with her tin basin of potatoes which were carefully washed and put to soak by the time her sister came in with the empty basket at twelve exactly the two sat down to dinner in the clean kitchen which was one of the two rooms the cottage boasted the narrow entry ran from the front door to the back on one side was the kitchen and living room on the other the room where the sisters slept there were two small unfinished lofts overhead reached by a stepladder through a little scuttle in the entry ceiling and that was all the sisters had earned the cottage and paid for it years before by working as tailoresses they had besides quite a snug little sum in the bank which they had saved out of their hard earnings there was no need for priscilla and mary to work so hard people said but work hard they did and work hard they would as long as they lived the mere habit of work had become as necessary to them as breathing just as soon as they had finished their meal and cleared away the dishes they put on some clean starched purple prints which were their afternoon dresses and seated themselves with their work at the two front windows the house faced southwest so the sunlight streamed through both it was a very warm day for the season and the windows were open close to them in the yard outside stood great clumps of lilac bushes they grew on the other side of the front door too a little later the low cottage would look half buried in them the shadows of their leaves made a dancing network over the freshly washed yellow floor the two sisters sat there and sewed on some coarse vests all the afternoon neither made a remark often the room with its glossy little cooking stove its eight-day clock on the mantel its chintz-cushioned rocking chairs and the dancing shadows of the lilac leaves on its yellow floor looked pleasant and peaceful just before six o'clock a neighbor dropped in with her cream pitcher to borrow some milk for tea and she sat down for a minute's chat after she had got it filled i'm nick friedman i'm lee alec murray and i'm leah president and this is crunchyroll presents the anime effect we are a new show breaking down the anime news views and shows you care about each and every week i can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life and yeah i agree we're covering all the classics if i don't know a lot about godzilla which i do but i'm trying to pretend <laughs> that i don't right hold now. it in hold and our current faves and luffy must have his due <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. No, I... You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They had been talking a few moments on neighborhood topics when all of a sudden Priscilla let her work fall and raised her hand. Hush, whispered she. The other two stopped talking and listened staring at her wonderingly, but they could hear nothing. "'What is it, Miss Priscilla?' asked the neighbor, with round blue eyes. She was a pretty young thing, who had not been married long. "'Hush, don't speak. Don't you hear that beautiful music?' Her ear was inclined towards the open window, her hands still raised warningly, and her eyes fixed on the opposite wall beyond them. Mary turned visibly paler than her usual dull paleness, and shuddered. I don't hear any music, she said. Do you miss more? No, replied the caller, her simple little face beginning to put on a scared look from a vague sense of a mystery she could not fathom. Mary Brown rose and went to the door, and looked eagerly up and down the street. There ain't no organ man in sight anywhere, said she, returning, and I can't hear any music. And Miss Moore can't, and we're both sharp enough for hearing. You're just imagining it, sister. I never imagined anything in my life, returned the other, and it ain't likely I'm going to begin now. It's the beautifulest music. It comes from over the orchard there. Can't you hear it? But it seems to me it's growing a little fainter-like now. I guess it's moving off, perhaps. Mary Brown set her lips hard. The grief and anxiety she had felt lately turned suddenly to unreasoning anger against the cause of it. Through her very love she fired with quick wrath at the beloved object. Still, she did not say much, only, I guess it must be moving off, with a laugh, which had an unpleasant ring in it. After the neighbor had gone, however, she said more, standing before her sister with her arms folded squarely across her bosom. Now, Priscilla Brown, she exclaimed, I think it's about time to put a stop to this. I've heard about enough of it. What do you suppose Miss Moore thought of you? Next thing it'll be all over town that you're getting spiritual notions. Today it's music that nobody else can hear, and yesterday you smelled roses, and there ain't one in blossom this time of year, and all the time you're talking about dying. For my part, I don't see why you ain't as likely to live as I am. You're uncommon hearty on vittles. You ate a pretty good dinner today for a dying person. I didn't say I was going to die, replied Priscilla meekly. The two sisters seemed suddenly to have changed natures. And I'll try not to talk so, if it plagues you. I told you I wouldn't this morning, but the music kinder took me by surprise, like, and I thought maybe you and Miss Moore could hear it. I can just hear it a little bit now like the dying away of a bell. "'There you go again!' cried the other sharply. "'Do, for mercy's sake, stop, Priscilla. There ain't no music.' "'Well, I won't talk any more about it,' she answered patiently, and she rose and began setting the table for tea, 
while Mary sat down and resumed her sewing, drawing the thread through the cloth with quick, uneven jerks. That night, the pretty girl neighbor was aroused from her sleep by a distressed voice at her bedroom window, crying, Miss Moore! Miss Moore! She spoke to her husband, who opened the window. What's wanted? he asked, peering out into the darkness. Priscilla's sick, moaned the distressed voice. Awful sick. She fainted, and I can't bring her to. Go for the doctor. Quick, quick, quick! The voice ended in a shriek on the last word, and the speaker turned and ran back to the cottage, where, on the bed, lay a pale, gaunt woman, who had not stirred since she left it, immovable through all her sister's agony. She lay there, her features shaping themselves out more and more from the shadows, the bedclothes that covered her limbs, taking on an awful rigidity. She must have died in her sleep, the doctor said when he came, without a struggle. When Mary Brown really understood that her sister was dead, she left her to the kindly ministrations of the good women who are always ready at such times in a country place, and went and sat by the kitchen window in the chair which her sister had occupied that afternoon. There the women found her when the last offices had been done for the dead. "'Come home with me tonight,' one said. "'Miss Green will stay with her,' with a turn of her head towards the opposite room, and an emphasis on the pronoun which distinguished it at once from one applied to a living person. "'No,' said Mary Brown. "'I'm a-going to sit here and listen.' She had the window wide open, leaning her head out into the chilly night air. The women looked at each other. One tapped her head, another nodded hers. "'Poor thing,' said a third. "'You see,' went on Mary Brown, still speaking with her head leaned out of the window, "'I was cross with her this afternoon because she talked about hearing music. I was cross and spoke up sharp to her because I loved her, but I don't think she knew. I didn't want to think she was going to die, but she was. And she heard the music. It was true.' and now i'm a-going to sit here and listen till i hear it too and then i'll know she ain't laid up what i said agin me and that i'm a-going to die too they found it impossible to reason with her there she sat till morning with a pitying woman beside her listening all in vain for unearthly melody next day they sent for a widowed niece of the sisters who came at once bringing her little boy with her she was a kindly young woman, and took up her abode in the little cottage, and did the best she could for her poor aunt, who, it soon became evident, would never be quite herself again. There she would sit at the kitchen window and listen, day after day. She took a great fancy to her niece's little boy, and used often to hold him in her lap as she sat there. Once in a while she would ask him if he heard any music. An innocent little thing like him might hear quicker than a hard, unbelieving old woman like me, she told his mother once. She lived so for nearly a year after her sister died. It was evident that she failed gradually and surely, though there was no apparent disease. It seemed to trouble her exceedingly that she never heard the music she listened for. She had an idea that she could not die unless she did, and her whole soul seemed filled with longing to join her beloved twin sister, to be assured of her forgiveness. This sister-love was all she had ever felt, besides her love of God, in any strong degree. 
all the passion of devotion of which this homely, commonplace woman was capable was centered in that, and the unsatisfied strength of it was killing her. The weaker she grew, the more earnestly she listened. She was too feeble to sit up, but she would not consent to lie in bed, and made them bolster her up with pillows in a rocking chair by the window. At last she died, in the spring, a week or two before her sister had the preceding year. The season was a little more advanced this year, and the apple trees were blossomed out further than they were then. She died about ten o'clock in the morning. The day before, her niece had been called into the room by a shrill cry of rapture from her. "'I've heard it! I've heard it!' she cried. "'A faint sound of music, like the dying away of a bell.'" End of A Faraway Melody by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman